Well, hey, everybody, I'm so grateful uh, to be with you all this uh, weekend, this final weekend of 2023, hard to believe. Uh, and whether you're here in Apple Valley or maybe you're joining us online, perhaps you're at one of our other campuses uh, watching this, uh, I just want to welcome you all. I want to wish you all a, uh, a happy new year. Happy New Year. I uh, hope Christmas was, was great for you all. We had a pretty low-key uh, Roberts family Christmas and uh, actually got up to Yosemite this last week to meet some uh, friends that we've uh, known in ministry for many, many years and got to kind of go walk in the park, hike up uh, to see some things in Yosemite and it was just really, really enjoyable. So I hope you uh, enjoyed your Christmas and looking forward to, to the new year with me. Uh, today, we are going to be looking at what I think is probably one of the most intriguing passages in all of the Bible. Uh, it's this great story from the life of Christ. So if you have your copy of God's word, I want to encourage you, would you open that up? Even if it's electronically, would you open it up? Because we're going to kind of be referring back to it. And I'm not always going to have that verse on the screen. So I'd love for you to just have it there with you. Or if you got your uh, personal hard copy, you can pull that out. But Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to start in verse 36 and be reading all the way through uh, to the end of that chapter. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and uh, let me just get my copy open and let's read together from God's word. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. By the way, if Jesus ever says that to you, uh, you <laughs> might want to pay attention. And uh, he, he steps right into it. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender, Jesus said. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Let's ask him to bless it to our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Um, So grateful as always um, to have the privilege to just spend some time with your people considering how your word applies to our lives. And God, I know that the real work done tonight is not by me, it's by you. It's by your, by your spirit. And so, Lord, I just want to ask, um, God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you allow this not just to be a good story, but to have a great impact in our hearts, in our lives? And so, God, we just want to thank you, even as we, we sit on the eve of, a, of a, a new year and we look back and we reflect and we look forward and we anticipate, God, would you just allow this passage to become a lens through which we can, um, can look back and look forward and consider our own lives and where we stand with you and how we can walk with you. And so, God, again, I just ask that you might speak to our hearts And we ask this in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen. Well, this story is such an amazing story. And in some ways, what what can happen with a story like this is we can just kind of read it and think about it from our 2023 perspective, you know, kind of think about, you know, the way we would enter a house for for a party, the way we would sit around a table, Um, And if we do that, we're going to miss an awful lot of what's going on here because this is happening a couple thousand years ago in the the Middle East, in Israel. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to help paint the correct picture of this scene for you so that you see it correctly. Uh, what would often happen in those days is, is a man who was a Pharisee, he was a member of the elite, the religious and cultural elite. He was uh, in the upper echelon of society at that time. He was wealthy. He was a man of means. He probably had a, a fairly large estate. Um, and it was people like that that would often ha- have these banquets And they would invite other important people over to their home to to have a banquet together. And the banquet would last for a long time, several hours. And uh, this is not a home where, you know, uh, where where you're just going to knock on the door or ring the doorbell. This is a a, a compound with a block wall. and, and, uh, And probably this banquet is actually more than likely being held outside. Uh, the table and uh, the, the, the seating around the table is actually not what we would think about. You don't, you don't sit in a chair and pull yourself up, up to this table. This table is lower. There are some cushions. Think couch with no back. And the guests, as they would arrive, they would come and they would be told where they would sit around the table. Some people in places of, of greater honor than others. 
And because Jesus had this reputation, you even see him refer to Jesus. He said, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, right? So he had a reputation as a prophet. He had a reputation as a teacher. He had a reputation as a healer. There was a buzz around town about Jesus. And so this Pharisee, this person who was of the elite class of that time, thought to himself, you know, I'm having this banquet. I'm going to invite this guy and I'm going to check him out. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, kind of check his credentials and make sure that, you know, he is who he says he is. And so Jesus comes into this banquet and he lays down on a couch and his head is up toward the table. It's in his left hand and he's using his right hand to reach to the table and feed himself, but he's laid out, right? Should I, should I get down on the floor? And so that, he's laid out, all right, hand on, on, or head in his hand with his left hand, and he's eating with his right. His feet, normally they would have sandals, but remember, this is a couple thousand years ago, dirt roads, and the roads were not occupied by vehicles. They were occupied by people and animals. And so whatever was on the road, be it dust or be it the leftovers from the animals, got onto the sandal-clad feet of everyone who walked in there. And so it was customary, if you were having a banquet, that someone, a servant of the house, would wash your feet. You would remove your sandals. Your feet would be washed before you ever went to the table to remove all the yuck that was on there. But as Jesus reclined at the table, we find out later in the story, he wasn't offered a foot washing, which was kind of distasteful. Uh, but uh, he's reclined, his sandals are off, his feet unwashed. And as he's, as he's sitting there, head in hand, eating food, having conversation, probably being asked lots of questions. You know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Maybe a, here's this Old Testament passage. What do you think about this? Again, he's being tested, as he often would be by Pharisees. This woman comes in. Uh, the NIV translates this in an interesting way. It, it says, this is a, verse 37, it says, this is a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Uh, very literally what the Greek text on which our English is based, it, it says, this was a woman of the city, a sinner. This was a woman of the city, a sinner. Many Greek scholars believe that when, um, when a writer like Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, would take those phrases and put them together, what he was referring to was, a, was he was referring to a, a prostitute. A woman of the city. A sinner. She may not have been that. I, I don't want to to be too strong on that, but more than likely that is the case. If not, she's at least very well known in that city. Her reputation is she is a sinful woman. Maybe she was just the, the, the life of the party in that city. I, we don't really know, but she was looked down upon, certainly by Simon and others who were in that upper class. Now, what in the world is she doing at the banquet? How did she get in there? Did somebody, you know, met, did the security, you know, fall down on the job? What, what was normal, again, at one of these banquets is, again, we're talking 2,000 years ago. People weren't at their house watching the sports on TV or, or doing their own thing. They, they, they would hear about a banquet like this, and they'd be like, hey, there's nothing else going on. Let's go 
kind of listen in and see who's there. And so they would go check out the who's who of the town at this banquet and they would listen in. What kind of you know, conversation and scuttlebutt can they pick up on, right? And so uh, the, there's people, there's servants uh, serving food and there's people from the town kind of just there around. And so this woman kind of comes in, probably no one really noticed, nobody thought anything of it until she begins to cry so profusely at the feet of Jesus who's laying down that all of a sudden Jesus and everyone else notices, man, this woman is crying all over my feet. And she cries so profusely over his feet that she's able to take her hair. And here's another cultural thing. You know, the Pharisees of that time, they used to teach a rabbi at that time would say, uh, if a woman lets down, a married woman lets down her hair in public, the, the husband can divorce her. To let down your hair in public as a woman was to say, I'm available. It's not that dissimilar to the way we see it in movies, right? A woman lets down her hair, kind of gives a little shake, right? It's the same thing, right? Letting down your hair. Um, that's kind of what's, she takes down her hair And everybody else is already seeing her as a sinful woman. And now they're seeing her doing this. And they're thinking bad things. And all she's thinking is, I love this man. She cries on his feet. She dries his feet with her hair. And then she starts kissing his feet. Then the text tells us that there was an alabaster jar. What's interesting is, uh, again, you go back to the text and it says very, very clearly, uh, end of verse 37, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Luke, what Luke is trying to communicate to us is he tells the story. Luke was probably somewhere at, at the banquet observing all of this. And, and, and it was clear that this woman brought the perfume on purpose. Now, an alabaster jar of perfume was incredibly costly. And, and more than likely, this might have been the most expensive possession that this woman had. Um, from excavations of, of archaeological sites, they found many of these alabaster jars, and many of them had long necks. Most of them had long necks, and just a little, a little reservoir at the bottom where the perfume was held. The long neck was so skinny that, that if you were to turn it upside down, you might get a drop out, but it, you couldn't pour it out that way. Just a little bit at a time would come and usually there was some kind of little stopper in the top and, and they would wear it around their, their neck. If they opened the top, it would you know, allow the perfume smell to come out. But most of the time they keep it corked and they might drop a little bit on them. But when it says that she poured this out on his feet, it meant, it, what it meant is she had to break the neck of that alabaster jar and empty her most precious possession all over his feet. It's, it's, a, it's an extravagant display of her love and affection for the Lord Jesus. And again, I, I think if we, if we don't understand some of these uh, cultural nuances, it's, it's, it's likely that we get maybe a little bit different perspective of what's going on here than what Luke is intending for us. 
Now, I don't know how familiar you are with, with, uh, with the scriptures, with the New Testament. The, the, the Old Testament uh, is, is everything that happened prior to, to Christ's life in the people that God was, was working with and through in the world. The New Testament is, the, it starts with the beginning of, of Jesus's life, but it's then, uh, it carries on through the church that, that came in Jesus' name and how it began to spread around the world. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each of the gospel writers tells the story of Jesus from their unique perspective, but with a particular audience in mind and a particular purpose in mind. In Luke chapter seven, uh, you can go back to the beginning of that passage and you can see there are three different uh, stories uh, uh, going on here. And each one of them gives us a snapshot. It's as if Luke is trying to give us different angles of the life of Christ so that we would see him as he is and understand not just who he is, but what he said and and how he actually uh, behaved in this world because he wants us to believe in him. And so he shares this particular story with a particular purpose in mind. And I believe that, that the reason why he's, he's sharing the story is he wants us to ask one question. And here's your first fill in the blank. The question, the big question Luke is wanting us to ask is, do you see the difference between Simon and the sinful woman? This is a story of comparison and contrasting. Do you see the difference between Simon the Pharisee and this sinful woman of the town? And because of this contrast, there is really, I think, one point that if you miss this one point, you've really missed the point of what Luke wants you to understand as you read this event in the life of Jesus. The main idea there, the big idea that he's trying to get across is this. And again, here's another fill in the blank for you. To be a sinner is not the worst thing. The worst thing is to not see your need for forgiveness through Jesus. To be a sinner is not the worst thing. The worst thing is to not see your need for forgiveness through Jesus. When you look at Simon and you look at this sinful woman, Simon thought that the worst thing you could be in the world was a sinner. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. You can just hear the sneer in his voice. You can just sense that he's looking down in disdain upon this woman. And Luke is saying, to be a sinner is not the worst thing. The worst thing is to be like Simon. To not see your need for forgiveness through Jesus. So today what I want to do is I want to spend the rest of our time today unpacking that idea. We're going to consider three differences between Simon and this sinful woman and how those differences They call us, each one of us, to evaluate ourselves and our relationship to Jesus. And they also also encourage us to ask, what's next? Where do I go from here?
And so uh, I want to start with the very first difference between Simon and the sinful woman. They had two very different approaches uh, in how they came to Jesus. I want you to see both of these people as seekers. Simon invited Jesus to the banquet in his home. He was, he was seeking Jesus on some level. And I think that that's important to note. The, the woman was also seeking Jesus, but the way they sought him, the way they came to him, the way they approached him was vastly, vastly different. One was seeking Jesus with his head and the other with her heart. One was seeking Jesus with dignity and the other was seeking Jesus with desperation. One gave Jesus a meal and the other gave Jesus her life. Their approaches are vastly different. And so I want to ask you a question. And again, here is your next, uh, your next fill in the blank. And, and I want you to just consider, are you more like Simon in the story or are you more like the sinful woman? How do you approach Jesus? Do you see Jesus, here you go, fill in the blank, as someone to check out or someone to worship? Do you see Jesus as someone to check out, to kind of investigate, to, you know, kind of put him through your own evaluation? Or do you humbly come and worship? And I think that that question is a great place for us to start as we're on the eve of a new year. It's a great question to ask looking back. It's a great question to ask looking forward. Do I approach Jesus as someone to check out or someone to worship? And it's a great place to start, but that is just the tip of the iceberg of what's in our passage. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. I just want to move forward to the next uh, difference. Not only did they have two different approaches, they had two different understandings. Simon approached Jesus differently than that sinful woman because the two of them not only had different approaches, they had different understandings. And their understandings were different, not just of who Jesus was, but who they were. Simon saw Jesus as a popular influencer. The woman saw him as her only hope. Simon saw himself as a good person with little need. She saw herself as a sinful person with a great need. And again, the question Luke would want us to ask is, so how do I see Jesus? How do I see myself? So, question, and here's another fill in the blank for you. Do you see Jesus as a good teacher or as a great savior? Do you see Jesus as a good teacher or a great savior? And, can't stop there, do you see yourself as a good student or greatly in need? Do you see yourself as a good student or greatly in need? What the story is emphasizing at this particular point, what Luke is emphasizing, brings up something that is very 
countercultural to us in 2023, 2024 America. An interestingly or an increasingly common religious viewpoint in America today, even among those who would call themselves Christians, is something like this. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is that you're sincere in your faith and happy in your life. Find your truth, then live your truth. You're a good person and you deserve to be happy. Does that sound like anything you've heard on TV from popular people in our culture or maybe from even friends or family members? Doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is that you're sincere in your faith and happy in your life. Find your truth, live your truth. You're a good person, you deserve to be happy. This is an increasingly normal religious viewpoint, even amongst those who would call themselves Christians. From that perspective, a person need only see Jesus and themselves like Simon did. Simon had the same perspective, essentially. He thought to himself, I'm not a bad person. Maybe Jesus can actually enhance my life in some way. I think I'll have him over for dinner. Simon's religion is simply a religion of God enhancing the life of those who follow him. And what I find today is that many of us come to Jesus for the same reason. We come to him for life enhancement, for a better life. We come to him for better health. We come to him for more wealth. We, we, we come to him so that our relationships will be less stressful and less messy. We come to Jesus hoping he can kind of just improve our lives. Our lives aren't horrible. We're not as bad as we could be. And maybe Jesus could just help us get over the hump. You know? Make life a little more endurable. A little better. We think to ourselves, I may not be perfect, but my life could be better. And maybe Jesus can help. So, you know, I'll determine where Jesus can make things better. I'll, I'll invite him in, you know, kind of let him show me, you know, my, where I could improve things a little. But I want you to think at this point, back to the parable Jesus told Simon. Remember when he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. This is the part of the sermon where if you um, are thinking at all that you're not happy you came to church today, you might just want to get up and walk out now. Remember that parable? Simon, I have something to tell you. Let me tell you a story. There were two people. They owed 
someone who lent them money. One of them owed them 50 denarii, the other owed, owed them 500 denarii. Remember how I told you we have to kind of look at this through, through a different lens? A denarii means nothing to us, right? We can look at 50 and 500 and realize, well, somebody owed 10 times more than the other guy, right? What we need to see is not the, the contrast, the 50 versus the 500. What we need to see is the next part of that. Two people owed a certain money lender, verse 41 says. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Here's the key part, verse 42. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So what did he do? He forgave both of them. And the question was, which one loved him more? Simon's answer, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And there's this whole emphasis on more and less. This compare and contrast. But at this point, I want you to realize that's not what Jesus was driving at. It's not what Luke wants us to see. What he wants us to see is that... <laughs> They owed a debt they couldn't repay. This is the point. Not just of this story, but it's the point of Jesus' teaching throughout his life. And, and the, the, the reality is, is, if we come to Jesus as a good teacher, what we kind of want to do is we kind of want to cherry pick. You know, I kind of like this thing. I like it when he said love. Love everyone. All right, that's a good one. I, I should try to do that. Uh, you know, forgive others. Oh, I like that. I should, I should give that a try. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers. I like that one. And we just kind of pick a few things that we like. But you have to understand that the thing that Jesus taught more than anything is that every single human being on a planet has a debt that they owe that they cannot repay. Let me see if I can say it one other way using, and again, another illustration, the illustration of life and death. Um, let, let me just have you imagine for a second that uh, two people died. One died by a venomous snake bite. The other died by being mauled by a grizzly bear. Question, which one is more dead? Now, one is dead dead, and the other is ugly dead. <laughs> but they're both dead. <laughs> it matters not how you died. It, not, it matters not how grotesquely you died. Jesus does not come to you as a mortician to try to make your deadness look better to try to dress you up and make you presentable. Jesus comes to resurrect your dead life, to bring you to a life that you've never known. You were born dead in your trespasses and in your sins, and Jesus came. He lived, he died, he rose again because he wants to completely transform your life from the inside out. This is the message of Jesus. And so it matters not whether you owe him 50 or 500. 
You have a debt you cannot repay and Jesus is willing to forgive you. He already has forgiven you. It's just a matter of will you receive his forgiveness like the woman did? Or will you be like Simon, so blind that you don't even see you have a need? And it all goes back to this idea of two different understandings. Who do you see Jesus as? Who do you see yourself as? How we approach Jesus is based on how we understand Jesus and how we understand ourselves. There's one more thing we need to notice in the text. How we approach Jesus is based on how we understand Jesus, but how we understand and approach Jesus will determine what we receive from Jesus. So I want you to see the two different takeaways, if you will. And this may be the part that just really began to work on my heart. Both people took away something from their encounter with Jesus. And it was directly related to both their understanding of and their approach to Jesus. Simon was checking Jesus out as a teacher. And you know what he got? He got schooled. That's, that's, that's what Simon got. The sinful woman, on the other hand, worshiped Jesus and received salvation, forgiveness of sins, peace. And I don't know that we um, need to spend a whole lot more time on Simon. We'll spend some more time on the woman but I wanna ask a couple of questions here. Here's some more fill in the blanks for you. Will Jesus see your pride and give you a lesson? Or will Jesus see your faith and give you grace? Only you can determine how you understand yourself in Jesus. Only you can determine how you will approach him. But you, please know this. Your understanding of Jesus and yourself and your approach to him will determine what you receive from him. And like I say, I don't know that there's much more to say about Simon. Simon got exactly what he was looking for. And by the way, I, I love how, how fair God is with us. When people live in rebellion against God, when they say, I want to do life my way, what are they saying? I want to do my life apart from God. You know what God does for us if we live our whole lives that way and never, ever return to him, humble ourselves, worship him, seek his forgiveness. You know what he gives us? Exactly what, he, what we want, eternal life apart from him. Hell. You know where light comes from? God. God is light. In him is no darkness of all. Who created light? God. You know what hell is like when you say, I want to live my life apart from God? Hell is 
darkness forever. Do you know where love comes from? First John says love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. You know what hell is? It's living apart from God. It's, it's exactly what you want. It's eternity with no love. And I could go on and on and on. God is just so fair. He gives us all the opportunity in the world to see that he doesn't want us to go our own way. He doesn't want us apart from him eternally. He wants us to return to him, to repent of our rebellion, our sin, and to give our lives to him, to humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. I need a savior. When you see Jesus or when Jesus sees you, will he see you in your pride and just give you a lesson, just give you what you always wanted, a life without him? Or will Jesus see your faith and will he give you grace? In this story, that grace kind of comes in four different ways to this sinful woman. I just want to give them to you up front and then we'll kind of go back and talk about each one. This sinful woman gets four things from Jesus. She got love. She got forgiveness. She got assurance. And she got peace. She got love, forgiveness, assurance, and peace. Initially, what drew me to this passage was Jesus' closing words. I actually prepared about five different messages for today, and this is the one I landed on. So if you want to hear the others, we could stay a little longer. I don't know. Um, but I was drawn to this because I was doing some, some uh, study on uh, Colossians 3.15, um, which talks about um, letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. And I was kind of looking at this as, as another passage talking about peace, but I love what he says. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Love the assurance and the peace that just is given, granted by God's grace to this woman. Well, l- let me just talk just a little bit more about some of these things and then we'll close it up. When it comes to love, forgiveness, assurance, and peace, I think a lot of us misunderstand not only what it means in this story, but also what it means in our lives. And so I just want to clarify a few things. This woman did not receive forgiveness of sins because she loved much. Let me say that again. This woman did not receive forgiveness for her sins because she loved much. She loved much because she appreciated how much she had been forgiven. 
Even Jesus, in his words, when he says your sins are forgiven, it's, he, he, he says right before that, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And again, the point is not to compare and contrast. How much have you been forgiven? How much have you been forgiven? No, the, the reality is if we've all been forgiven a debt we couldn't repay, haven't we been forgiven much? A, a denarii was a day's wage. Let me just go back to the denarii. A denarii back in that time was a day's wage for just an average worker. If a day's wage today was based on $20 an hour for eight hours a day, that would be $160 a day. You multiply that times 50, you come up with the figure of $8,000. So, $8,000. But if you're trying to live on $8,000 over a couple of months, you're probably going to need to spend a fair amount of that just to pay your bills. And so even if you were using 20% of what you made to, to pay off the debt, it wouldn't just take you the couple of months worth of wages to pay it off. It would take you five times more. It would take you almost a year. But, but then you look at the other one who had 500 days worth of wages. It wasn't 8,000, it was 80,000. Which if you used it all to pay it back, it'd still take you well over two years to pay it back. But again, the reality is you have to have some money just to pay your expenses. And so again, if you used 80% to live on and took 20% to pay it back, you're going to be in debt a long time. Now, some of you who just graduated from college and have student debt probably are going, hmm, I understand, I understand what that's like to have a debt like 80000 um, I'd love for someone to forgive that debt. That'd be great. But again, the point is not to say... Oh, it's this much or it's that much. The point is to say, if you can't pay back the debt, you can't pay back the debt. There is something very profound that I want, uh, I want you to understand from this story. To love, to forgive, to have assurance, to have peace with others, or even in this life, to love life, to experience forgiveness in life, to have assurance in life and peace in life. We often as Christians think, I need to try harder. There's not enough love in my life. I, I need to try harder to love. There's not, I'm having a hard time forgiving. I need to try harder to forgive. There's not enough assurance in my heart. In my heart. I need to try harder to have faith. There, there's not enough peace in my heart or in my life. And so I need to try harder to, to just uh, have this peace come. We, we, we sometimes have this idea that peace is like mystical. Like, like if you just say the magical words, you know, and just presto bang and all of a sudden you're just flooded with peace and it's like oh that that's awesome but that's not how it works it's not about trying harder it's not about coming up with the right formula the right words in your prayer or any of that 
Here's the principle that I want you to, to, to just take in. Your ability to love others or to love life is absolutely dependent on you seeing how deeply sinful you are and how deeply forgiven you are. Your ability to love others or to love life or to forgive others or to have assurance or to have peace. Your ability to love others and to love life is absolutely dependent on you seeing how deeply sinful you are and at the same time, how deeply forgiven you are. So let me give you a couple of examples to help you understand what I mean. Let's say that someone wrongs you horribly. Unforgivably. If, like Simon, you have too high a view of yourself, that is to say, you don't see yourself as someone deeply sinful. Or you have too low a view of yourself, that is, you don't see yourself as someone deeply forgiven. You will not be able to forgive that other person. If you are struggling to forgive someone, it's because you don't see yourself and you don't see Jesus as you should. If you don't see yourself as deeply sinful and deeply forgiven, you will struggle to forgive others who deeply wound you. It is only when a person can see how deep their sin is that they are humble enough to forgive those who sin against them no matter how great the sin is. But it is also only when we see how deeply forgiven that we are that we are too joyful to not forgive. Does that make sense? Do you see? Go back to the parable. You owed God a debt you could not repay him, yet he forgave you. But if you look at the amount owed and you make comparison, there are some people that you just won't ever be able to forgive. You'll always see their wrong against you as too great to forgive, as unforgivable. But let's say that you see yourself like Simon, that you're a good Christian who follows all the rules, and then your house burns down. Or you go to the doctor and they tell you you've got cancer and you've got a few months to live. Or you lose your job and you have no idea how you're going to make it. If you look at God and yourself and this world the way Simon did, then you are going to be either mad at God or mad at yourself or both. You're going to be mad at God because you're going to be like, dude, I followed all the rules. How could you let this happen? You owe me. 
After everything I've done for you, how could you let this happen to me? And you're going to be angry at God. Or you're going to be angry at yourself. And you're going you're gonna to wonder, what did I do wrong? I must have really screwed up for this to happen. Either way, you can't love yourself, you can't love life. There's no forgiveness, there's no assurance, there's no peace. Do you see? But if you see how deeply sinful you are and how deeply forgiven you are, you won't be mad at God. You won't be mad at yourself. Instead, you will be assured and at peace that despite the tragedy, you are deeply loved and forgiven by God and you can trust him even if you don't understand why. Do you see? Again, we're standing on the eve of a new year. Would you consider this story as a lens by which to evaluate 2023 and anticipate 2024? I want to challenge you to take some time, maybe even tonight, maybe it's tomorrow, and I just want you to ask some more of these kinds of questions. Let me give you three. Have you been approaching, or how have you been approaching Jesus? And how do you want to approach him this year? I want you to think about that. Are you more like Simon? or more like the sinful woman? Coming with your head, coming with your heart. Coming for what he can do for you, or coming for what you can offer to him. A second question to consider how has my understanding of myself or Jesus been affecting whether I worship him or I just want him to enhance my life? Third question. Do I see how deeply sinful and deeply forgiven I am? Or is my love, forgiveness, assurance, and peace dependent on how people treat me or how good my life is. Are you glad you came to church today? My goal was not to stomp on your toes. My goal was just to simply help you see. 
of all the verses in this whole passage, the one that should stand out to us is when Jesus turns to the sinful woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman? My guess is nobody had seen that woman in a long time. Jesus saw her. And he sees you. He doesn't just see the you that everybody else sees. He doesn't see your social media presence. He doesn't see your reputation in whatever circles you find yourself in. He sees you. He sees your sin. He sees the debt that you could never, ever repay. And he offers to forgive your debt. Do you see it? You may be deeply sinful, but you are also deeply loved. And there's no better way to live than that. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for the message of your word. Thank you for the example of a woman whose name is not even recorded for us in the scripture. We just know her as the sinful woman. And yet, Lord, we realize that in her, we have such a beautiful illustration of what it looks like to be in right relationship with you. Lord, we are sinful people. We owe you, our creator, a debt we cannot repay. And yet, God, we know that you so love the world that you gave your only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, God, we, we just want to say thank you for your grace. We want to th- say thank you for the gifts of your grace, like love and forgiveness, assurance and peace. God, that come when we see ourselves and we see Jesus the way we ought to. When we approach in worship, falling at the feet of our Savior, weeping, offering our everything. Lord, we want to live like that. We want to see like that. Thank you for seeing us as we are and loving us still. And perhaps you're here and and, uh, maybe you thought this whole Christian life thing was all about keeping the rules, trying to clean yourself up, trying to just do good enough so God wouldn't condemn you. I hope that maybe for the first time you see you have a debt you can't repay. 
Your sin, if you remain in it, will separate you from God forever. You'll get exactly what you want. But if you're willing to humble yourself, to admit that you're a sinner, you, you, need, you need to be saved, not just improved. Can you admit that? B, can you believe that Jesus is the one savior God has given? And if you are willing to trust him, he can do for you what he did for this woman. And then see, just choose. Choose to commit your life completely to him. And just don't turn back. Keep choosing to believe in Jesus every day. I would urge you, if you've never done that, please do it today. So Father, we, we again, we just thank you. Thank you for the time together. Thank you for a new year. Something to look forward to. God, a way to approach this new year. God, we just, we just want, to, we want to see you. We want to know we, you. We want to walk with you. We want to never forget how much we've been forgiven and how deeply loved and valued by you we are. And so God, we pray for your blessing over our lives, over our families, over this next year. And God, we thank you for all you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Say it with me, amen.